0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we return to The Prof, Howard Hendricks. Here's what Prof Hendricks said to Dallas Morning News in 2003. You're looking at a completely fulfilled human being. If I died today, having produced some of the people God has given me the privilege of shaping, it will have been worth showing up on the planet. According to a 2003 Dallas Morning News article about him, the combined ministries of just eight of his former students A veritable who's who of evangelical Christians reach close to 30,000 people in pews every week. And you add radio programs and books to that number, the audience expands to millions. Today, Howard Hendricks discusses why the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash, it is cross-country.
1: The Christian life is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, process of walking with the living Lord. You see, the Christian life is not a hundred-yard dance. It's cross-country. That's why there are so many people who go up like a rocket and come down like a rock. They do tremendous if you only had to run for 37 yards, but that's just starting. Oh boy, we get the program going on this university, man. Hey, you can count on me, friend, Greg. Boy, I'll do this, that, the rest of it. Two weeks later, woo we send out an archeological expedition for him. (laughs) You'll have to take this by faith, but I used to run track. (laughs) This was centuries ago back before the flood. (laughs) And I used to run the low hurdles. That's logical. I was close to the ground. (laughs) And we used to work out at the college, and a man by the name of Gil Dodds, who was then the indoor mile champion, used to come out to the college and work out with us. And we built a very close friendship, fantastic individual with a remarkable testimony for Jesus Christ, down through these years. Gil Dodds and I became so close and one day I remember I was jogging around a track and he came along and slapped me on the rear end and said, Come on, we let's go around! Great. So around the track we go and I find myself about five paces out in front of him. And I figure, you know, if you're going to be the world's mile champion, let's get with it. <laughs> but what I didn't understand is that he was planning to go around again. And I really didn't have that in the plan at all. <laughs> in fact, by the time I got around that track once, I was just about to collapse, and he comes along and slaps me on the bottom and says, Carl, we on, only three more to go. Three more. Woo, I'm going to die right here, and I'm going to put up a monument. Hendricks died here. <laughs> and I discovered there's a vast difference between running short distances and running cross-country. You've got to develop the second wind. And the same is true in the Christian life. You show me a man who lives consistently for God for 300 years, friend, I want to talk to him in heaven. That guy's got something significant to tell me. And then the second thing that impresses me about this man is that he was a family man. And when I can find a family man who walks with God, And God says he walked with me. That's extremely impressive. See, kids, years ago I used to be impressed with people in public ministry. I'm no longer impressed by that. In fact, when I'm looking to evaluate a man, I could care less what he can do in public. I want to know what he can do in private. When I first started into the ministry, I met a man who told me that he hadn't sinned for 18 years. And I remember saying to him, my friend, do you mean to tell me that Jesus Christ had a rival in you for 18 years? He really hadn't thought that one through. I said, man, I'd love to interview your wife. I'd like to talk to your kids. And I'll get an altogether different story. You know, the interesting thing is, this man came to faith with the birth of his first child. That marked the beginning of that walk. And you know, I've looked at two kids that got together. You know, you could almost rattle them and hear the brains moving. You wondered if they had an intelligent thought in their head. And all of a sudden, someday, they look down a little crib and there's a little form that they had a part in creating. And you talk about sobriety. You know, that's ours. I'm on. You better believe it. And if you want to know whether you got the real disease, test it in your home. Don't tell me what you're doing out on that campus. I'm just not impressed. Let me talk to your mom and dad. Let me talk to your brothers and sisters. Let me talk to the people real close into you. And then I'll tell you whether you really know what it is to walk with God. But the third thing that amazes me about this man is the climate. It was not conducive to walking with God. Remember, Enoch lived in the days just prior to Noah. And when the New Testament wants to use an analogy of what will it be like, in the days prior to the coming of the Son of Man, it says, as in the days of Noah. You know, that's an important lesson to remember. I hope you've learned it. You see, the Christian life does not depend upon environment. It depends upon relationship. And I've had a young person say to me, well, you know, I don't know if I want to go out there to university, boy, I'm not able to get shot out of the saddle. Say, yeah, I'm inclined to believe you will. You better put down some shafts in the Word before you ever step on that plate. Oh, well, I'm going to go to a Christian college. Well, then, friend, you're going to have greater problems because you'll be down at Tubes there in two weeks. If you can't live clean for Jesus Christ on the University of Alabama, Texas, you name it, I got news for you, it doesn't work. See, that was the whole issue with the church at Corinth. God established a church right in that cesspool of iniquity. And instead of the church making an impact on Corinth, Corinth was making an impact on the church. The Lord comes in to instruct them through the apostle Paul to show them you're clean and you can live clean in the midst of Corinth in Christ. It doesn't depend upon your environment. Friend, we have kids out at the seminary, and I'll clue you, friend, every class begins with prayer. Every class is taught by a man totally committed to the full authority and inspiration of the scriptures. Every guy on that campus is a born-again believer who has gifts and referees and all of the rest of it. You come to Dallas Seminary, and in two weeks you can get down to two. And a lot of guys do because they expect to come into an environment, ooh, here we are, <laughs> on holy ground, and the first prop comes out with a quiz, and the guy's down. Well, what happened? You flunked the test, Dad. Did that grab you? Oh, but you know, the Lord led me here. That's right and this is a part of the process of your education I had a guy come into my office some time ago he was making sixty thousand dollars a year in a business and the company said we will raise it to a hundred if that's not sufficient you call the shots he said i feel god has called me to the ministry walked out the front door told him in effect to hang it on their beat took off here for dallas gets here with his family he's not here for six weeks His wife is sick in Baylor Hospital. Two of his kids have never been well since they arrived. He still doesn't have a job. And he walks into my office with three blue books in his hand, with F's on them. And he says, man, prop, I've never felt I've been in the will of God more than now. But look what's happening. I said, my friend, that's a part of the curriculum. You didn't read that in the fine print in the catalog because this is what God is developing into your life to make you like his son. And he knows that there's only one kind of soil in which faith flourishes, and that's in unfavorable soil where the bullets are real and where reality is high. But if you can live in the days of Noah or in 1973, out on that college campus where god has placed you then my friend you've got the work and the walk of faith that's what this man had and if it doesn't work for you in those circumstances and in that home and for that long period of time then friend don't export it because you really have nothing to share with a phony generation. Desperately hungry for reality. Will you look at the third man? Oh, boy. This outfit has the fastest clocks in Dallas. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Here it's Noah, and here we have the work of faith. Now, if you want to chase the story down, it's found in Genesis 6 through 9. We don't have time to go there tonight, but I would encourage you to read it because it too is freighted with meaning. Very exciting, very educative. But the whole life of Noah is compressed in one verse by the Spirit of God in Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah being warned of God concerning things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, through which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, I want you to note something in this passage. There are three essential components to biblical faith. There is, first of all, an intellectual component. When you come to faith, you do not commit intellectual suicide. It's not a question of putting a gun in your head and saying, I really believe. (sighs) It is based upon facts. Remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I delivered unto you that which also I received, how that Christ Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and was seen of men. That's four facts that took place in space and time and that people could attest to. Dr. Schaefer, founder and president of our seminary for many years, used to say to us in classes on the doctrine of soteriology of salvation, gentlemen, you have not preached the gospel until you have given men something to believe. And Paul says, you have something to believe. Christ died. How do you know it? He was buried. Christ rose again, how do you know it? He was seen of men, over 500 at one time. And last of all, me, Paul said, an unlikely prospect, born out of due season. Facts. And Noah had some facts. He was warned of God concerning things not yet seen. Well, you say, yes, but how ridiculous. Ridiculous? They were revealed, and God has revealed to us facts concerning the future, and some of you have been introduced to this during these days and have seen the tremendous plan that God has for this planet. My friend, God's not uptight over what's happening in the United States or around the world. Christians may be, but he isn't. Got it all under control. Oh, I know somebody says, you know, God is dead. Oh, I love that story that occurred in a university, I think, in the East, where somebody put up the thing, God is dead, sign Nietzsche. And there had to be some kid come along with a little graffiti and wrote under it, Nietzsche is dead, sign God. (laughs) And I assure you, the demise of God has been greatly exaggerated. He's very much alive, and it is all perfectly in control. So relax. And enjoy your sleep tonight. Oh, but some pagan would come up to you and say, Good night. Oh, you read it in the current issue of Time magazine. You know, these knuckleheads who believe that Jesus is coming back. How out of it can you get? That's ridiculous in a sophisticated scientific aim. Won't they be surprised when he shows up? <laughs> Like I said to one guy in on a plane who was talking to me, he says, well, I don't believe in the rapture. I said, well, let's suppose that it might take place. Would you care to be a part of it or not? I Hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> See, God had spoken. And despite the fact that what God said was contrary to what man had seen up to that point, Noah was a man of faith. He believed that. He believed that God Almighty, who knows all things, who's infinite in His person, is a better one to call the shots on life than some puny human intellect limited to space and time and blasted by the fall. But notice there is a second component. He was moved with godly fear. There is an emotional element to faith, and don't run from it. Mark it well. His being moved with godly fear was the product of the revelation which God had given. See, he's not talking about emotionalism. He's not talking about a person, you know, who's (laughs) just... But, you know, he never has this thing geared to reality. To facts, to truth, which God has revealed. See, experience is a dangerous thing. Whose experience is valid? You got to have some basis on which to evaluate your experience. But once God tells you this is true, then my friend, you better move. And that's the key to motivation. You know, every while I go in churches, oh, Brother Annerd, what can we get to move our people? Well, it's very simple. You ever see a man backed into forty thousand volts of electricity? You know he doesn't turn and say, eh, "Did you say something, <laughs> friend?" He is going to move. And what I think we need in our generation is to take people and back them up into the living truth of God's word. And I'll clue you: they'll move noah did every man of faith has from that generation to this that's what gets you off the dime that's what gives you concern but there's a third element there is a volitional there is an actional element notice he did something he prepared an ark to the saving of his house hey you want to have fun sometime next time you start feeling sorry for yourself buy Bill Cosby's record on Noah. You hear it? You gotta hear it. It's classic. This guy walking down the street whistling like crazy, and I say, oh, good morning, Noah. What you doing? You know, building an art. Right. And I wouldn't ruin the thing, because I couldn't even come near to it. But I'll tell you what it'll do for you. It will give you the feel of what it means for a man to live in a generation when everybody is saying, there's the guy who's out of it. When in actual fact, he was the only guy who was with it. Because he acted on the basis of what God has revealed. Somebody says, poor old Noah. Yeah? For a number of years, it was poor old Noah, but when the rain came, my friend, (laughs) you got the message. You see, he responded by doing something. So get off that jag of somebody saying, well, just trust Jesus. You know, we got so many people in the Church of Christ who are supposedly trusting Jesus in sort of a cliche that I wish... I could put a bomb underneath them to get them to move to get them to show that they are trusting you remember the 37th psalm that's the key trust in the lord and do good you see the fact that you are trusting god means that you will move into action on the basis of what he has said and i believe my friend that Noah is a perfect illustration of a man who was committed to divine viewpoint. God had spoken, that settled it. He did in the human realm what was ridiculous, but what was revealed. He was out of step because he was marching to a different drumbeat. And I'm sure there are many of you who, from the standpoint of other people, might appear to be out of step with your generation. I'll clue you if you're a man or a woman of faith tonight. It's because you're marching to a different drumbeat. Now, will you go back and look at verse 6? I deliberately passed it over because this is an explanatory verse, which I believe is not limited to any one of these men, but to all of them. In fact, to all of the men of faith. For in verse six we read, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Did you hear that? Will you underline that in your Bible? But without faith it is impossible. Oh, the finality of those words oh a little bit lord nothing without me you can do nothing for he that believeth is a man who believes that god is and secondly that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him will you put those two things down right in the center of your thinking Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's that involve? Believing that God is. Staking your very life and eternal destiny upon the reality of God. Is he alive to you tonight? Then perhaps you need to go back to the life of Abel, and discover that faith worships. It occupies itself with a living Lord, and as he looms larger, so does your faith. See, never look at your faith. Your faith is a very elusive thing. You know, we say, oh boy, we, we can do it, man, we can take on five of them. Well, I mean, there are some difficulties, and, uh, well, you know, I know. Maybe we better not try. That's faith, when you're looking at faith. See, faith, we said last night, is worthless apart from its object. The only thing that makes your faith worth anything is the object of your faith. So don't look at your faith, look at him. And as he looms larger, when he becomes to you what he is in fact, the almighty God, Then you will discover your faith will take giant steps but this passage also teaches me that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him you see you'll never come to him and be disappointed and by the way he rewards you not on a performance basis but on a relationship basis He doesn't reward you on the basis of your deserts. He doesn't reward me because I deserve to be rewarded. He rewards me because he desires to reward me. And my friend, that's an altogether different ballgame. Because there are a lot of people who have come to faith who really know nothing about this. They're under the cloud. They spend all of their life Enjoying it Have you run into some of them? No They're really not enjoying it They're sweating it out They're really trying They're not quite sure we are going to make it And furthermore To complicate it further not, They're really not sure God's going to make it You know, I'm so glad that somebody introduced me to this, and particularly when I was quite young. It changed the whole course of my life. You see, I was not smart enough, nor mature enough, to marry the girl that God chose for me. You should have seen what I picked up. and I still break out in a cold sweat thinking I might have missed her. You know, it's the most exciting thing in all of the world to sit here tonight and to realize that God has a choice for you in terms of your partner. And it's no sweat. If you'll ever come to the realization that he's alive, And that he wants to reward you, not punish you, not say, what, are you here again? Man, you were just here five minutes ago. (laughs) Now, you never come as an intruder, always as an invited guest to a throne of grace, there to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, I wasn't smart enough to choose my vocation. I chose the vocation of a medical doctor. I had a scholarship to Northwestern University, and if I made good on it in university, it was clean through medical school. And I thought, man, boy, this is... It. And to this day, my favorite indoor sport is watching surgery. <laughs> I just about fall in the middle of the body. Fascinating! And God totally redirected my life and said, Henry, I got something else. And you know, kids, at that time, I didn't have the foggiest idea. Oh, it never even crossed my mind what God had in store for my life. I'm so glad God taught me this before I got four children so I didn't start messing around in their lives, trying to push them into school and in this kind of program and in this vocational choice. Every one of my four children has gone an entirely different route. And I'm so thrilled because I am convinced that each one of them did what my wife and I were committed to. Son, gal, the only thing we're concerned about is that you find the will of God and what He says to you, do it! For He's in the business of rewarding you. He wants to give you a life of fulfillment. So that at the end of your life, he can say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Why don't you let him make your decisions for you? Father, we pray that during these days, the Spirit of God, may open us in terms of your truth. Father, many of us have been spending so much time immersing our minds and hearts with the thoughts of the world and men, that we frankly have developed a jaundiced and distorted perspective. And we need now and then to set our bearings and to get our goals clear and to know what exactly is involved in the divine process. Lord, I not only pray for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I pray so much for myself, that as we come to this portion of the word, that you will open our eyes, that we might see who you really are, and then that we may go back different because of the exposure. We pray, believingly, expectantly, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Howard Hendricks. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.